I can't tell you the number of times that I've seen the movie Toy Story. Like I said, it was for many years Dominic's, one of Dominic's favorite things. You've already met our friends Buzz and Woody. I watched the movie again this past week uh, as sermon preparation, which sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? This time, though, it was different as I watched the movie because I watched it with this scripture from 1 John in mind. And you might say, Pastor, what does this scripture about love and God's love have to do with Toy Story? But stick with me, and I promise we're, we're headed somewhere. As I watched Andy's room, which is the world in Toy Story, dissolve into a fear-filled mess at the appearance of Buzz Lightyear, I watched it from a theological angle. In the movie, we watch as Andy's birthday brings a new toy into the world that is Andy's bedroom. And the toys approach every gift-giving holiday, Christmas, birthdays, anytime Andy might receive a new toy, they watch with fear and trepidation. They worry that another toy will come and take their place in Andy's heart. They worry that they will be shelved and forgotten, that their value will decrease with each addition to Andy's toy collection. The toy family turns to a headed Woody in times of crisis. He has been Andy's favorite toy for years now. The sheriff runs a tight ship in Andy's room. He keeps order, calms the fear of the toys, reassuring them that all will be well at the end of the day. Sheriff Andy is able to do that with ease and with grace until Buzz. All of a sudden, the good sheriff finds himself slipping from first place in Andy's heart. Soon, pictures of the space ranger adorn the walls of Andy's room, and the cowboy-themed bedspread is replaced with a space ranger-themed spread. Soon, the sheriff sees the room transform itself from a peaceful prairie to a star-filled galaxy. And worse than that, soon the sheriff is not the top toy. He's no longer the good guy, peacekeeper, cowboy hat-wearing favorite. No, soon he's the bad guy, being shot at with the piercing light bulb laser that adorns Buzz's space uniform. And just when he thought things couldn't get worse, he was replaced as Andy's nighttime companion. Sheriff Woody watches in disbelief as Andy carefully tucks Buzz into bed with him, and Andy sleeps with the other second-class toy citizens in the toy box. If you've seen the movie, which you can after church, plug, if you have seen the movie, the fear of rejection and replacement gets the best of Woody. And one thing leads to another, and Woody accidentally knocks Buzz out of the window and into the yard of the creepy neighbor kid where all sorts of misadventures await him. Woody let his fear of being replaced, his fear of not being loved, of not retaining his preferred status, get the best of him. See, Woody had preached a gospel of grace and peace loud and clear to all of the toys, 
And Woody had lived it out when he was the number one toy. But when his beloved status was threatened, his peace-loving nature disappeared. Sound familiar to any of us? We love to be beloved. We love to be loved. We love to be valued. We love to be important. We love to have a sense of control over our lives. We love to be loved. We as humans have some strange ideas about love. We see it played out in this children's movie, but isn't it true that we have all acted out when we didn't feel loved or when we felt threatened or insecure? We have carved out love to be a highly emotionally charged idea. We teach our children that love is reserved for the very special people in our lives, that they will meet and marry their one true love. We speak about love in romantic terms, but sometimes in unattainable or unsustainable terms. We draw lines and borders around love. We limit how we give out love, and because of our own limitations, we believe that others limit their love toward us. So we try to earn other people's love. We try to make them earn ours. That isn't God love. That isn't how we've been loved. In these passages in 1 John and all throughout Scripture, when they talk about God's love, they are referring to agape love. The kind of love that comes from God and is given to all people. Agape love is boundaryless. It's the love from God to all people and our returning love to him. This is the kind of love that works through us. Because God loved us, then we can love God and we can love others. We give what we have been given. We become channels of the love of God for others. Without God's love, we cannot love. That's the kind of love that I am speaking about here when we talk about the love referred to in 1 John. This kind of love is not about us. It's not self-seeking or self-preserving. Agape love is concerned with the greater good, with someone else's greatest attainable good. Agape love is not based on feelings. It was easy for Woody to profess confidence in Andy when he felt he was the number one love toy. Because when we base our ability to give love on our own feelings, things can go awry because our feelings can and will deceive us and mislead us. Our feelings are self-centered, self-preserving, concerned with our own greatest good. God's love is the opposite of all of that. God sees love in a different way. Romans 5.8 says, But God proves God's love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God showed love by coming to us in our very worst 
state while we were sinning and showing us what true love looks like dying on the cross for our sins. We reserve love for those who deserve it. God gave love to those who deserved it the least. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. When we hear this life-giving scripture, we think about ourselves. Oh, for God so loved me, or God so loved you, that God sent Jesus to save us and offer us salvation, and that is true. God did love us and send us Jesus. But I want you to reconsider the scripture for just a moment. It reads, for God so loved the world. If you look up the original language, the world meant the earth, all of humanity, which makes sense. There are 49 incidents in scripture where the original Greek was used to mean all of the inhabitants of the earth. But there are also 28 times when the same word for world was used to mean the ungodly multitude. So hear the scripture with that meaning in mind. For God so loved the ungodly multitude that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the sinner that he sent Jesus. God so loved the ungodly multitude that he sent Jesus to save them and offer them life and hope. That is God's love in action. And even more than that, there are 13 times in Scripture when the same word for world was used to mean obstacles to Christ. The world meant obstacles to Jesus. For God so loved those obstacles to Christ that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved those who would be obstacles to the gospel of Jesus Christ so much that he sent Jesus to save them. Do you see the difference between humanity's love and God's love. Our love draws a circle to include those we love and to keep all others out. God's love draws a circle to include the world, all of humanity, the ungodly masses, those who would act as an obstacle to Jesus, the world. We draw our circles tight and small, God's circle is as expansive as the universe, which we don't even know the limits of. We, as humanity, define, refine, and restrict our love. God's love is indefinite and unrestricted, but it is not without sacrifice. In fact, God's love is the most sacrificial action ever known. We talk about God's love in terms of acceptance and peace and hope and freedom. 
And God's love is all of those things. But this letter speaks to the sacrificial piece of God's love. This scripture deals in no uncertain terms with how we are to understand and live out God's agape love. And it doesn't pull any punches. It says, beloved. It calls us out from the first word. Beloved, you have been loved by God, therefore you will love as God. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. We love because we were first loved. We love because we were loved when we were sinners. Scripture says, whoever does not love does not know God. For God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Do you hear these words of remembrance? The writer is saying, remember, you are God's beloved. You have been loved. Love comes from God. In fact, Jesus was love manifested. Jesus was love with skin on. Jesus was a revelation of God's love for the world, the world, all of mankind, sinners, ungodly masses, obstacles to Christ. God's spirit within us enables us to love one another. God's spirit within us allows us to live in peace with those who are our enemies. Going down to verse 18, there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. We love because he first loved us. And then the letter tests us directly. Those who say, I love God and hate a brother or sister are liars. Ouch. For those who do not love a brother or sister... For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The scripture is testing us directly. It's saying if you can't love the person standing in front of you, then how can you say you love God who you have never seen and who is a mystery? The commandment we have from God is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. We are called to love God and to love our neighbors. We are called to love God and to love the brothers and sisters who stand in front of us. We are called to love them when we don't like them. We are called to love them when they don't like us. We are called to love them when they don't look like us, act like us, vote like us, love like us, believe like us, live like us. We are called to love God and to love our neighbors when we don't feel like it. Not just when we want to. We are called to love God and love neighbors, especially when we don't want to. We are called to love our brothers and sisters without fear, those who stand in front of us, even when the person who stands in front of us is a reflection of us. 
When we look into the mirror, we must love the person that we see who was crafted, created intentionally by God. We must love ourselves because we have been loved. We let fear dictate who we love often. We fear those who are different from us and we fear those who are like us. Sometimes we fear those who seem better than us. Have you ever been in a circle of friends and all of a sudden there's a new friend and there's this tension for a little bit until you get to know them? Will they like them better than me? Will I lose my place in the circle? I see this all the time in kids when you hit an odd number. Two are friends, three are frenemies. Somebody's out. They have to figure it out amongst themselves. Has this ever happened to you in the workplace? All of a sudden there's a new employee and now everybody's really nervous. Everybody starts to up their game a little bit because when someone new is introduced, then the dynamic of the team changes. And everyone needs to be reassured that they still have a place, that they're still valued, that they still have a sense of control. It happens in, in our religious communities. When the big church moves into town, all the pastors get together and say, do you think they'll steal our people? Do you think they'll still love us? We draw lines. It becomes us and them. We fear those we are believe are seeking control because if they have control, then I have less control. We see it play out in friends, in business, in life, in relationships, in churches, in civic groups, in every sort of committee. We saw it play out in our local government a couple weeks ago. Everybody was trying to figure out what everybody thought. Will they like them more than me? Will I win or will I lose? We draw lines to keep some in and others out. Agape loves calls us to courage. We need to remember the deep theology of these passages and of this movie. Woody got scared and so he began to draw lines when he saw the other toys uh, deeply connecting to Buzz and all of a sudden it was him or me. Somebody's going out the window. It's you or me. This town's not big enough for the both of us. But it is. We can be loved in all circumstances because of our identity in God. We can love the unlovable because God loved us when we were our most unlovable. We are because God was and is and always will be. We need to have the courage to draw the lines big and wide. We need to have the courage to begin with loving ourselves and seeing our own value because of who we belong to and who we are made in the image of. So when you look in the mirror and you see your image, you see a piece of God. We need to have the courage to love those who stand in front of us, even the most unlovable, the ungodly multitude. We have to love them because Jesus did. At the end of the first Toy Story movie, when all the fear and drama had been resolved, 
When Buzz and Woody are back in the safety of the world that is Andy's room, you notice a difference. Cowboy hats and space helmets adorn the bedding. Stars and planets and horseshoes mingle on the curtains. Buzz and Woody both have a place on the bed, and all of the other toys understand that they all belong to Woody. They're all his beloved, and they're able to draw the circle wide. And you might say, well, Pastor, that's just a movie. But I would say, isn't that what God intended in the beginning? That God would walk with God's creation in a world where they were beloved and cared for and loved and could coexist in peace and who could draw the circle wide? Isn't that God's plan? And God will get God's way. We don't have to fear because God's love is perfect and perfect love casts out fear. And perfect love is ours because we are his. And all God's people said, amen.